Hey friends, I just stopped by to tell you about what's going on in my writing life. I've completed the prequel to my novel, A Fifth of the Story. I'll tell you about that later, but A Fifth of the Story is actually debuting February 27th, 2024. It's coming out through Endgame Press and the imprint Harambee. Really excited about working with the folks over there. And I'm loving this novel so much that I decided to continue to be friends with the characters and just let them live out their lives in the next couple of books. More on that. One of my favorite characters is Brock O'Reilly. He's a deeply layered character. And if you know me, you'll know that I'm a born storyteller and I write with a fine touch. I've got a sharp eye for detail. That's why I I like to ask a lot of questions, but I've got a real firm grasp on the complexity of human relationships and also the delicacy of the intel agency and how they operate. But Brock is someone who is really sophisticated, really smart, really into his friendships and protective about them and the people he loves, but he's got a really dark secret that he hopes no one finds out about. And when you read the book, you'll find out why he wants no one to know. Throughout this novel, there are also people that I absolutely adore. There's Shugs, there's Pang, there's Patty, there's Dr. Harper, there's Snake, who he's a bad guy. But looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this novel and I can't wait to get it out there because it's with incredible empathy and candor that I tackle lots of issues in my, in, in my novel. I tackle race and privilege and prejudice and justice and compassion and secrecy and loyalty, all that rich stuff. So can't wait to share a fifth of the story with the world. Welcome to our podcast, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem, Laced with Morality, where all authors and experts are invited to share, learn, and together make this a better world where light pierces through the darkness with the spoken and written word. Well, I am here with an author who I consider family now because this is his second time coming on, and we had such a good time talking Um, The last time he decided to come on back and to talk to us about his um, recently published novel, Mainly Wicked, and then um, talk about the debut, the upcoming novel that is um, Pirate Trap. I can't wait to talk about both of those projects. But anyway, I just want to remind you that Matt Cost, he was a history major at Trinity College. He owned a mystery bookstore. You're going to remember this guy, right? He owned a video store. He owned a gym. I mean, all the fun things. Like, who who wouldn't want to own a mystery bookstore, a video store, and a gym? And um, all of that before he calls this serving a 10-year sentence as a junior high school teacher. Um, In 2014, he was released and began writing. And that is what he does. He writes histories and mysteries. Um, Matt now lives in Brunswick, Maine with his wife, Harper, and he has four grown children, Brittany, Pearson, Miranda, and Ryan. 
A chocolate lab and a basset hound round out the mix, and he now spends his days at the computer writing. Welcome back home, Matt. We're so glad you're back. Well, thank you for having me back, Catherine. I had such a good time last time that I'm looking forward to going around again. <laughs> yeah, so so let's just dive just dive right in, right? Um, man, uh, you you're just re- you really were serious when you said you stay you, you're going to stay committed and you're going to write um, every minute. You seem to be publishing a new book. So t- tell us about um, just tell us about mainly wicked. Uh, Well, Mainly Wicked sort of started with the premise of modern-day dating sites on the internet, like the Tinder dating sites. And I said, hmm, those could really go wrong. (laughs) I have a friend who's on the sites and, you know, says, you know, you just meet these horrible people and (laughs) these different things. And so that's sort of the premise of Mainly Wicked that uh, two different ways there's you know a fellow comes up missing who's come to Brunswick to answer a classified ad for to buy a four-wheeler but then a woman comes up missing who maybe was meeting a man for a date that she'd met on a dating site called Patience a dating site for mature adults (laughs) I've heard of those (laughs) And our protagonist, Goff Langdon, is sort of hired to investigate both of these and realizes that there might be a link between the two of them. And as he gets farther into it, he realizes back in the 1970s, there was a grotto or a mission from the Church of Satan established in the Brunswick area. And then they were expelled from the Church of Satan for being too uh, radical and he suddenly realizes that you know he's into this very deep because on the face those people disappeared 50 years ago but perhaps they're still out there witches, wiccans and wendigos and they all get very wicked so what inspired you to write that? was it based on any kind of truth? um you know, the start of it is, is I had a friend who was on a dating site and, you know, she was sharing some of the horror stories that she had and that's the premise for it. And then as I got further into it, I'm like, who might be utilizing something like this for nefarious purposes? And I came across the Church of Satan, which is a real entity out there that has existed for quite some time. And they, back in the 70s, would send out missionaries to different parts of the country to establish grottos, they called them, to spread the word of the Church of Satan. And so I said, that's a great idea. But then I thought I'd better distance myself a little bit from the Church of Satan. So I made them so radical that they got expelled by the Church of Satan. Oh my gosh. Can you just give us a snippet? Like what's one radical thing that would be too extreme? Um, well, they're eating people. <gasps> okay. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that'll do it. Right. That will do it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Mm. The church yeah. of Satan actually is, it was interesting in my research 
because they're not as bad as you would expect them to be. Mm-hmm. They they're fairly reasonable on a lot of topics, but where they draw the line is if somebody messes with you, you take it to the limit and you finish the the problem and that's where it gets a little on the evil side. But uh you know on the on, on the surface they're like, you know, mind your own business, you know, let everybody do whatever they want to do until they mess with you. So yeah. So what is their main mission in the, in the in that kind of church? Um, you know, it's I, I'd be hard pressed to be a spokesperson. <laughs> the Thank God. <laughs> exactly what their main mission is, but as I said, you know, to a certain degree, they believe that I I my understanding is they believe that Satan uh is not the evil person that has been projected uh through Christianity and that you know Satan is a better person or a better god than is portrayed so wow okay huh well okay so so moving on to pirate trap <laughs> tell us tell us about a little bit about that cuz that book is coming out soon well, Pirate Trap certainly doesn't get quite so dark as, yeah. as mainly Wicked does. Yeah. But coming up in Pirate Trap, it's my Clay Wolf Trap series in which I, um, uh, it's set in a fictional town in Maine, Port Essex, uh, okay. which is a coastal town, a mix of uh, fishermen and uh, wealth. And I'd come across stories uh, back in the early 1700s of pirates that used to visit the main coast. Oh. And uh, there's, of course, stories that go along with these uh, that, you know, they would bury treasure here. Not that any has ever been found. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I decided to take some of these real visitations and, you know, Captain Jack Bellamy who used to come up in the summers to Maine, to the coast, to put his ship in before going back down to the Caribbean and looting and plundering. But they take the summer months off up in Maine, and it's possible they put him in approximately where my fictional town of Port Essex is. And so I, you know, went with that and had them perhaps bury a treasure, and some people have come across clues leading to this. And it gets complicated very quickly because several different entities are looking for this treasure. Oh, does someone does someone get hurt or come up missing because of this? Uh, the, the, there are several uh, <laughs> violent aspects that occur during the book. Uh, we get a motorcycle club involved. Oh. Uh, we get emissaries from the Ukraine. Um, so we have uh, lots of different people that all of a sudden become aware of this potential treasure and they're all looking for it and trying to find it. And one of them has hired the local PI, Clay Wolf, to be their local liaison to help them look for this treasure. Tell me about the Ukraine portion. That's that's interesting. Uh, I really can't tell you 
too much about that because that comes as a nice twist further towards the end. But there are the two people that originally hire Clay Wolf are Ukrainian. So I'll give you that much. Okay. Uh, Ukrainians living in the Brighton Beach area of New York. Huh. Brighton Beach. Okay. See, I used to live in New York. Now my, my wheels are turning. Okay. <laughs> there are <laughs> antique dealers and they come across a King James Bible that has a treasure map and uh, some notes within the King James Bible about this treasure that's been lost. So that's what gets them turned on to it. Oh, wow. Okay. That's super interesting. Wow. So in researching for the book, because I don't know about you, Matt, but a lot of times when I'm researching, because a lot of us, excuse me, people don't realize it that even when you write fiction, you do a lot of research. You know, you do, you research your your area, you research your topic. Was there anything that you learned that surprised you? Um, You know, I mean, interesting things just tying in together what we were just talking about. But in 1718, Captain Sam Bellamy's ship shipwrecked off the coast of Massachusetts when he was going to uh, try and retrieve his childhood sweetheart and bring her off, possibly to Maine with him. And of the survivors, there were only two. And one was a young black uh, male from the Caribbean who didn't speak much English, but it is going to be him that, and he uh, gets taken in by one of the founding fathers of our country, and it's going to be him that is going to have left this treasure map and whatnot. So he's all real, and then I fictionalize the treasure map and have him put it into this King James Bible that gets handed down generation to generation. So the so okay so the black character so he he wasn't enslaved by the uh, he was not it's one of the interesting things and by Captain Jack Bellamy was he was very democratic and he actually had talked about you know setting up a democratic republic in Maine uh, where there was no lines between gender or color or anything else like that so upon his ship as far as he got there are several hundred sailors who were all treated absolutely equally and maybe a quarter of them were black and uh, some other uh, ethnicities as well and it was a very democratically run pirate ship I, I guess in you know pirate lore you know everybody's equal if you do your job I love that now, I love when I learn something. I kind of, I'm kind of into the pirate lore. It's just, it's intriguing, and my family is um, Jamaican, and so there are lots of pirate stories about Jamaica. There's it actually Jamaica, long long time ago was notorious for pirates, and yes. uh, a, yeah, a huge earthquake broke off a a. Um, it, it sunk. It, it was a. They had an earthquake, and uh, there was a, a huge part of the island that actually broke off and sank. And that was actually what the pirates used to hang out. I don't know. 
Yeah, but that's interesting. As bad as a rap as pirates do get, there were some interesting things about them. Uh, that I, that's not the first that I've heard that about there being more equality on a pirate ship than you would experience in an entire country. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah, and I, I came across that in a lot of other instances as well, and I, I think it was true, you know, that the, a pirate didn't care about much other than the person next to them doing their job. <laughs> yeah. So that so what I'm just interested to know this I know this is taking a whole different turn, but with the <laughs> pirate and his um, one of his shipmates, whatever happened to them? Uh, there they, were only two survivors from the shipwreck. Okay. One being the young uh, uh, Caribbean black male, and the other, I think, was actually executed by the you know the villagers that found him for being a pirate. But you know because the young male was maybe 15 years old, they turned him over to uh, um, I forget the name off the top of my head, but. Uh, the grandfather of one of our founding fathers. So, okay. okay. So, <laughs> and did then he... everybody else disappeared in the shipwreck, oh, or yeah. perhaps they didn't. Perhaps they stayed oh. in Maine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the fictional possibility that exists. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the so the the uh, black guy then was he then enslaved by? Uh, he Maine? wasn't. He he became a free servant. Okay. Um, was my understanding, but that's kind of the only passing role that he has in the book. Is he was mm. the one that had this map where the pirate treasure was, and he stuck it in a King James Bible, and then kind of forgot about it. Wow. So. So what what inspired you to even begin that the pirate trap? What what in, for the very beginning? What would you just wake up one day and you were like, I'm going to write about pirates? I know you like history and mystery, and maybe that was a great combination. But what just triggered the book? You know, it's you know possibly in one of my previous books uh, in that series, Wolf Trap, where there's heroin being smuggled off yeah. the coast of Port Essex. And that kind of generated with the idea that uh, some, you know, million-dollar yachts were found, you know, on the rivers of Maine, just deserted. And it's thought that probably the drugs were being smuggled in. They ran aground and, you know, just emptied the boat and left it there for whatever purposes. Yeah. And, I, you know, that might have been a little trigger to lead me to the next step of coming across these pirates that used to visit the coast of Maine and just, you know, in my, re it wasn't even research, just in my curiosity at that point, yeah. discovering that yeah, pirates used to come to Maine. You always, you know, associate them with Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> and, and warmer weather and, you know, yeah. down where the rum is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Wow. So are you going to include fun things in there like a map yes <gasps> yes I do have okay. uh, one possibly two maps in the book okay. and we'll see how uh, those come out I haven't seen them in the pub publication form mm -hmm. so maps can be difficult but 
I'm yeah. sure the publisher will do a fine job with it. Oh, oh wow, that's exciting. Um, yeah, so how did how did they go about even creating the map? Do they have to hire someone to an artist to do that? The publisher? Yeah. Um, no, I, I I think they're able to format it themselves. Okay. I've only had maps in one other book that I've done, and they did a fine job. And I believe they just did it themselves. Uh, my book on Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution had a, a a bunch of maps in it, and they came out great. So. Wow. So do you see, because I'm seeing lots of possibilities here, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what you say. So after Pirate Trap, do you see a continuing story after that or stories? Um, you know, absolutely. Like I said, it's the fifth book in the series. Uh-huh. I don't think I'll follow the pirate gold treasure hunting theme of that book. But I'm sure we'll move on to a new mystery for Clay Wolf and uh, the Port Essex area. As a matter of fact, you know, Mainly Wicked, which just came out in August, was also the fifth book in that series. And I have a title for the sixth book, even if I don't have any um, anything else to go with the title yet. And I'm Can you tell us? The title was inspired by you. What? Inspired by you. Oh my gosh! You get it, so you have to share it. Uh, it's going to be mainly mayhem. <laughs> oh, I love it! Oh my gosh! We have to do a whole special interview just for that one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, that is no, your, your, your podcast title, you know, with the mayhem in it, I laced yeah. with mayhem. I'm just like, you know, that goes really good with mainly, you know, mainly I mayhem. I like it. how that sounds. Mainly mayhem. That is so I'm sure cool. it will fit because there's always chaos and mayhem in my books. So <laughs> whatever it I... may be. That is so good. I, I'm writing that down. <laughs> I'm going to be looking for that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like, where's my copy? So, so being that, being that you write these books, well, some of the, some of the books actually take place in this fictitious town where you live. Have you ever used it as a marketing resource? Like, can you go to bookstores and say, Hey, I, I'm a native here. Um, how about it? Does that ever work for you to market? Um, absolutely. I mean, my books, my Brunswick-based books, which is where I live in Brunswick, Maine, and that's where the mainly books are based is in Brunswick, Maine, sell very well in the uh, local bookstores, and they're always happy to have me come in and do signings and talks and things like that. Yeah. And then the uh, Clay Wolf Trap series, I sometimes let on to the people over in Booth Bay Harbor that Port Essex is really loosely based upon the town of Booth Bay Harbor. So that's helped get me in the door over there a little bit and, you know, share that information with some of the customers and readers. And, you know, they get excited to read about their town. Yeah. So so for, because one of the things that authors are always struggling with or thinking about is how to market my book. Like for me, 
I have my thriller book doesn't come out until next year, February. And I've, I'm already like sweating marketing this, this book. And because your worst fear is for it to just come out and nobody cares or knows. (laughs) So, so I want to ask you two things. Like what have you seen that has worked to help sell your book and what hasn't worked? Um, Come save us some time and money. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I certainly think that, you know, people doing what you're doing and getting authors onto podcasts and uh, other things like that and doing reviews and interviews and spotlights and things like that are a fantastic way to just spread the word of mouth. Um, You know, step one, of course, is it's got to be a good book. Yes, that's, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You know, and even going back to my businesses, you talked about uh, the fact that I owned a bookstore and a video store and a gym. And we always felt then that the best advertising was word of mouth. Yeah. So if you, you know, give a good price and good service, you know, provide, you know, good quality, whatever it may be people will talk about it and the word will get out and I and, and I hope that the that holds true for the writing because yeah. you know we often don't have the big budgets to go out and have a big yeah. splashy marketing campaign now do we <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah it, um it, you know now that you say that I just myself and um and a, and a group of other authors we had met with uh, and he's an agent with um, the Steve Lobby Agency his name is Dan Balo yeah Balo and um, we were just asking him like what you know what are you know just tell us what are agents looking for what are publishers looking for and we're we're always thinking about marketing and he because we're either in the process of of, uh, publishing a book or we have and so he's like please write a really good book. That's number one. <laughs> Lots of people yeah. are freaking all about that. And you you said that. You're like, write a really good book. Write an excellent book. And, um, and then word of mouth. And that was one of the things that this agent was also saying. You know, be professional. Um, be a nice person. You know, just be someone that people enjoy working with. And so I think you probably learned that in not just owning one business, but multiple businesses, that customer service, that interaction, that personal interaction with people is important. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, you know, it all starts with writing a good book. But, and we all hope that, you know, we get the one reader who also happens to produce a Netflix series or something like that. <laughs> who says, wow, this is a great book. And, you know, those inspirational stories on occasion happen, but they're like lightning striking twice. So, um, you know, I think the reality is you write a good book and then you just grind away and Mm -hmm. write on. Yeah. So, So what continues to keep you inspired? Because sometimes we don't, sometimes we have our, we have our, um, our bad days, our low days, you know, when we, maybe that rejection, like we just did not need that, that other rejection because like this agent was saying, he said that, um, we've got one of the things you have to do is you have to develop a thick skin because 
the life of a writer is filled with rejection. So what are, what are some of the things that keep you motivated? Um, you know, I, I, I like what I do. You know, I enjoy writing. I enjoy creating stories. And, uh, you know, I've recently written some blogs and answered some interview questions to the fact of when is enough enough? You know, why do we do this? You yeah. know, what what's the point of it? You know, I, I heard an author, a best-selling author, speak of it once. And there's the points where people wish they could write a book and then they write a book. And then, of yeah. course, you wish you could publish the book and you publish the book. Yeah. And then you wish you were a, an award-winning author and you went in an award. And then and you're just always wanting more. Yeah. And right to the point of, you know, you're a... S.A. Cosby and you're a best-selling author and everybody's watching you and uh, you know when is enough enough and I and reflecting upon that I think writing might be enough and the rest is all gravy and I'm not saying I wouldn't want it (laughs) but I do like to write and I like to write a book and uh, so when is enough enough that's a really good attitude, though, that the writing itself is enough, that 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 is enough. And so everything else is all great because you you are so right. Um, I have like I'm a person who I love vision boards and I have like goals on my vision board and, and, and all that. And I'm kind of that kind of person. Like, I want to do this. OK, check. I do this. OK, check. It's like we want to live from mountain to mountain to mountain. And you, we can, I think you're right. We can definitely make things tougher for ourselves if we don't embrace that first love for writing, just to, just the craft itself, just to, just being in the moment and enjoying the journey instead of constantly living for that next goal or high, because, because we can, we can be our, our own worst enemies. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, if, if anybody's watching this and, considering becoming a writer and you don't like writing I would say <laughs> don't do it <laughs> it's not like you know, going out and being a bonds trader and saying oh I hate my job but I'm making millions <laughs> you're probably not going to make millions so yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you know the weird thing is I have heard authors say they don't like writing and I'm like why why yeah. Why are you doing it? Yeah, and I'm the, I'm talking about people who write really well, and I'm like that is just that's just strange. That's just really painful. <laughs> right, that goes back to you know a comment you were making earlier about it being thick skinned, and you know there are people that like to write, but then you put it out there, and uh, you know even if it's a really good book, you're gonna get you know some pretty sharp criticism because. A, there's people that don't like your style of writing, and that's just going to be a fact. And then there's also haters out there. And, you know, <laughs> we all run into the haters on the, you know, the Amazon or Goodread review who you just kind of look at it and shake your head. And I, I think it really bothers some of my writer friends. But, you know, I sort of treat it like the mean tweets that the celebrities will share on Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. I just kind of laugh at it and I'll read them out loud to my wife. Hey, guess what this person said? 
Oh my goodness, that's a good attitude, though. To just I, I think it's necessity. Yeah. yeah. To to um, because people all take that kind of rejection or criticism or feedback differently. Some for some authors, it's deeply personal. Um, it it has crushed some authors for various different reasons and you're right there are a lot of haters out there it's like hey hey buddy why don't you turn around and write a book how about you write a book and see, <laughs> see how it goes right um it's it's much it's much um easier to go and pick people apart without having walked in their shoes and, but you have a really good healthy attitude about it like uh you know it comes with the territory you're gonna have you're gonna have people like that and and that's a good attitude. Not everyone is going to like you. They're not going to like you personally. They're not going to like what you write. And it goes on and on and on. But as long as you find your people, your niche, you know, it's good. And the rest yep. is all gravy. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Tell me, what is, a, what is a, your favorite scene out of Mainly Wicked? Um, well, I probably can't tell you my favorite scene because boy, it ends with a bang. Oh. The, the end of Mainly Wicked is uh, wicked in many ways, and uh, it, it it works out okay. So, you know, the spoiler alert will be you know, it doesn't end terribly, but. It's, it's quite a climatic scene, probably the most powerful that I felt that I've ever written. So I'm really I'm very, you know, anxious to get more feedback from readers on Mainly Wicked and, and that ending scene and whatnot. So that, that would absolutely be the scene I would share. But um, some of the other scenes would just be, you know, maybe Goff Langdon and his group of friends who he always pulls into his mystery solving sitting around the campfire and uh kind of uncovering the connections between these missing people and perhaps this 50 year old grotto that disappeared into thin air that was too radical for the church of satan and it's just kind of an eerie scene as they're going really wow you know and uh so that. That, that's that's the one I can share, but okay. the climatic okay. one at the end will be, you know, very powerful, I think. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, guys, if you if you read Mainly Wicked, be prepared for the ending. I can't wait to check that out. In fact, um, we have a book review section on my um, website. I think I think I need to throw a review up there. It's under my. Um, it's under. Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem, Laced with Morality blog. So I think we're going to throw a, a review up there. Sounds people, good. Yeah, let people know. <laughs> and then what about your favorite sections in Pirate Trap? Um, well, now that you mention it, I kind of like the end scene there as well. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, some of the scenes that uh, might, you know... I, I guess it's always the scenes where my protagonist and in my Clay Wolf Trap series, it's a similar thing where he has a very colorful cast of characters who support him in his endeavors. Yeah. And uh, 
him and his partner, Bailey Baker, who have been simmering through six books, may finally get together in this one. This is what many people have been asking, when will they ever get together? And it, it might be in this one. But again, when Bailey Baker and Clay Wolf and, you know, Murphy, the Irish clam digger and Westy, his fisherman, ex-seal buddy, and yeah. uh, Cloutier, the um, newspaper editor, uh, get together to start unraveling what's really going on. And then it's not just a hunt for a missing treasure, but there's many different elements at play here. And uh, so it's the crux of those scenes where, you know, all of a sudden you realize that it's much bigger than you thought. And th wow. those, those are often my favorite scenes. Okay. So in, in your feedback from other people, have your readers ever asked you to tell us more about these other secondary characters? Or are there, are there secondary characters that, they, that have really appealed to them? Um, certainly in Pirate Trap, a, a very favorite is Crystal Landry, who in the very first book, Wolf Trap, comes in and hires Clay Wolf to investigate something and is a client with sort of a minor role. And I got a lot of feedback out of that one of how much people liked this um, very intelligent, very friendly, but foul-mouthed uh, ex-drug user. And so in book two, she gets pulled in and becomes the receptionist for Clay Wolf's PI uh, firm. And uh, she's kind of grown in stature through every book because she has become a very much beloved figure in that series. Wow. Okay. Do you think she'll ever maybe get her own feature? Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not okay. sure where I will go. I'm yeah. still writing more Clay Wolf's. And, uh, but if I sort of see an end where I feel like Clay Wolf has run, you know, his path, you know, then a spinoff with Crystal might be fun. Yeah. I, I'm, wow. I wouldn't even know which way I would go with it at this point, but she's, she's a very entertaining figure. So I'm sure yeah. we can find something for her. Yeah. I, do any of your secondary characters, um, start you know, trying to show up more. I know that might sound weird to people, but sometimes it happens. Um, I mean, Crystal Landry certainly started showing up more, yeah. um, you know, in, in the Trap series. Bailey Baker certainly was that way too. You know, she was kind of a low-key figure and then blossomed into uh, this really capable P.I., who also is a potential love interest for Clay Wolf. So she's grown in stature through it all. Um, in the uh, mainly mystery series, uh, I don't think that anybody has really grown too much. They've all stayed pretty similar to their path. You know, but a side comment on that, in Mainly Wicked, I have a character in the book uh, who I was about three quarters of the way through writing the book, you know, 60, 65,000 words into the book. 
Yeah. And I suddenly said, whoa, he's the one. <gasps> oh, you didn't That's know. the one who did it. <laughs> oh, oh, see, I love that because I'm not the only one who is, who does. Sometimes I don't even know who did it. I'm like, oh. I, I'm not sure. I ended up killing off this guy. I'm like, I thought he did it, but he died. That's, and my, anyway, when you talk to non-writer people, like my family or friends are like, aren't you the one that's writing the book? Don't you have control? I'm like, no, these, these, these characters start behaving, you know, badly or they start acting out of character. They're not listening to me. Yeah, absolutely. I was at a writing event last night. You know, some people were talking about sort of forcing their characters to follow their outline. And I and you, it sounds like, are the complete opposite. You know, we're just following along behind doing what we're told. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, I, right now, yeah, right now I am still, I'm almost done with this, this the prequel to um, a fifth of the story, the, the, the thriller. And um, I'm still trying to figure out who, who did what. I'm almost there. But I'm really shocked. I'm really shocked at who's, who's up to no. <laughs> My family, they can't talk about this stuff. They're like, you just sound crazy. But our writer, our writer friends understand. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's by far the best when our characters shock us. Because if they shock us, we should probably be able to shock the reader as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I I. I said I remember having trouble with this with one of my books, and I I had a I went and sat down and spoke to this guy. His I really admire his writing. His name is Stephen James because he has he has such great plot twists. And um, I said um, I used I was a, I used to be this plotter, and now my characters are just acting out of control, and I don't know what to do. Should I let them act? And he's like, just go with it. Go with it. He said, because what ha he said, people who are pantsers, they create twists that no one ever saw coming. Because like you said, they never saw it coming. Right. He's, so he said, go with and, and then I just felt free. And I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to the outline anymore. I'm just going to go, go free. No, <laughs> so, those are the great moments when you know you come to a point you're like what's going on and maybe you take the dogs for a walk or something and you mull it over and say what would langdon do what would clay yeah. wolf do what would eight ballot do <laughs> and you know when that point comes to you and you say ah oh, yeah <laughs> that's always a very exciting moment it so is. often the best moments come away from the keyboard and the computer but just out in thought land yeah. So how how did you go about these two last novels? Did you did you create an outline or did you just start with the seed of an idea and just run with it? Um I always have an outline. Sometimes it's mostly blank to start. Mm -hmm. Um and if I get a thought like I was talking about walking in the woods with the yeah. dogs or something and I get a thought of Oh, down the road, this might, you know, this would be a cool thing to happen. It's not what's yeah. happening now. I'll jot a couple notes into that outline at the halfway point or yeah. something like that. 
And, you know, sometimes I had know the end that I'm going to try and strive to reach. And, you know, I'll have that kind of roughed out. And usually it's different by the time I get there. Um, but sometimes, and more often is the case, I just fill it in after I go. Yeah. So I write the first chapter and I say, okay, here's three things that happened in the first chapter. And I yeah. find that's good to keep my continuity and know what's going on. Or if I need to come back and check to make sure I'm being accurate later in the book, I can reference it and say, okay, in chapter two on page 38, you know, I said this, I go back and reread that passage and make sure that I'm, you know, holding true to something I said earlier or, you know, how, how much I'm incorporating characters or plot twists or things like that. And if they're all hitting their mark. Yeah. Do you, do you ever, cause I find that you, I find that you write really good dialogue. I love, I love dialogue. Um, I I suspect that you might do that, but do you really do you listen to other people's conversations? It's not because I'm I'm trying to be creepy, but I'm just intrigued. Like <laughs> good, I'm always listening for how people are talking back and forth to each other. I pay a lot of attention to that. Do you find yourself doing that? Um, not so much consciously. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you might do that a little more consciously than I do. Yeah. But every once in a while, somebody will say something and I'll be like, oh, you know, I, that's a nice turn of the phrase or yeah. that's a good way of looking at this or, you know, that's going to find it into the mouth of one of my characters in one form or another. So it yeah. certainly happens. But Yeah. And what about your interaction with other people? Do you ever do you ever see someone because you especially people who have quirks? Or say things repeatedly. I'm like, oh man, that I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna. That's that's definitely a character in my book. Do you ever do anything like that? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Quirks and you know turns of the phrase or you know little slang things that you know a mainer might say or whatnot. Absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll pick those out and add them to somebody in a book. Um. You know I. The book I'm writing right now is a sort of modern-day Robin Hood set in New York City, and uh, I just and I'm coming to the end of writing it, but I've come to realize that I want to color up some of the characters. So you know, when I finish and I go back to do those first edits, I'm going to be looking for some more quirks and some more yeah. you know turns of the phrase and you know things that will make the character distinctive, and you know. They always say this in this situation or, you know, they they have a, you know, weird little quirk where they have to rub their forehead, you know, when they <laughs> when they eat or something. I don't know yeah. what it'll be, but I've got to, you know, find those and add those in, I think. Yeah, I like I like that you said that because it helped me in taking on that perspective or that attitude. It helped me to enjoy the editing process more because before you're like, oh, I just want to. There was a part of me that used to be like, oh, I just want to write. I hate editing. But I have come to love editing because it's helped me to really strengthen my characters. I, I To really make sure, because sometimes you'll start bleeding quirks. You're like, no, Patty rubs her forehead, not Tim. And I've got both of them doing it, so I've got to differentiate. But it does help you to 
to personalize your characters and deepen um, these characters. And then you, you tweak your their quirks, you tweak the dialogue, so it's very specific. Have you found yourself doing that as well? Uh, no, I, I, I've come to like that part of the, you know, global developmental edits very much. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, I've always liked to think, uh, I shoot for around 85 to 88,000 words in my novels. Yeah. And I usually am the opposite of what many people are which means my first draft I shoot for around 80,000 words because I'm going to add easily, well, I'll cut out several thousand words, which means, you know, on top of the five to 8,000 that I'm going to add, it might turn to be 10 to 12,000 of developing characters, quirks, different things like that, or a scene, you know, that might need to be fleshed out a little more. And, you know, I think that's really what brings the book to life is, you know, developing those things a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, that that's so true. I try to, yeah, I'm like you. I aim for, my sweet spot is between 75 to 80,000 words because you, I know I'm good. It's like coloring a, it's like coloring a, a black and white um, painting or coloring book or something like that because I know I'm going to go back in and yes, clean up stuff, but I'm going to add a lot in terms of the characters and it gives you room to be able to do that so it's it's really important to know you know who you are as a writer and how you're going to get to where you're going to get where you are but that's a good tip for other um, authors just to know what to do well Matt listen it's always a blast hanging out with you I cannot believe we're at the end of our time already Um, I know you're going to come back because you're going to talk about mainly mayhem (laughs) absolutely (laughs) oh my gosh well tell tell our um our our listeners how they can stay in touch with you um all the you know all the ways just tell them all the things well you know if you remember my name you can usually find most of the rest of the stuff so i can matt cost is my name and my email is matthewcost at comcast.net uh, Facebook is, you know, Matt Cost three. Um, Instagram is Matt Cost eight. So, <laughs> you know, if you remember Matt Cost, you can find me on social media. You can find my email, and of course, my website is www.mattcost.net. All right, yeah, it is super easy to find you. I, you just put Matt Cost author Vance right there. It's like the only the only Matt Cost. There, there's not cool. many of us out there. Well, it's it has been wonderful hanging out with you, as I said before. And um, like I said, can't wait to have you back on. And um, hey, listeners, authors, whether you're a reader, you're a writer, um, you just like hanging out with us, uh, you know, as we talk about our craft and about our books, um, please don't ever forget to pierce through the darkness spoken and written word thank you for having me on Catherine and uh, I'm sure next time we're on together it'll be mayhem (laughs) I can't wait (laughs) 